Louder! Camera Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabaga from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Hey, you motherfucking dogs. And the slickest of all the Knicks, Mr. Slickman. How are you, everybody? Today, we have a doozy of an episode, but first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody Kane, how goes it? It all goes well, like I say every week in my neck of the woods. Um, what did I get up to this week? I worked. It's actually a short week this week. Um, had yesterday off due to the Easter weekend, mate. So yeah, just been smashing down some chocolate, bit of gut rot, treating myself. And um, I spent last night trying to find a Dr. Giggles Blu-ray. Sadly enough, I can't really find a decent one because they're uh, released in Spain and France, I'm pretty sure. So Vincent, if you're fucking listening, mate, just uh, putting that out there for you. That is one of the rumored uh, discs, I think. Well, I fucking hope you're correct because you certainly have my interest, Mr. Bowser. (laughs) Um, What do I do? What else did I do? Oh, I uh, just finished re-watching The Haunting of Hill House for like the fucking sixth time. Love that TV series. Mike Flanagan is a genius. Definitely a fucking tearjerker. Gets me every goddamn time. Um, Yeah, but other than that, not much else. Not much else going on with me. What about you, Slick Nick? Not a ton. Um, Like I said before the show, uh, Slick Nick was feeling a little sick Nick again, so I have a doctor's (laughs) appointment coming up. So I didn't do a ton. Uh, Mostly sat home and was lame and drank water and watched... uh... The Big Mouth spinoff on Netflix a bit. Uh, <laughs> What's that called? Uh, uh, Human Resources. Okay. Yeah. Uh, pretty funny. It's pretty goddamn funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, not a ton. Uh, at least not after work. Um, work has been making me pretty damn tired. Um, I wish I had today off like you, Brody. Uh, <laughs> we didn't get anything for Easter, which I thought we did. I guess we didn't. Um, but I was expecting to have Monday, this coming Monday off like all week until I just found out <laughs> like yesterday because we got invited to a uh, like retirement plan meeting thing. And I was like, are we even going to be here? And like, yeah, it's not in the handbook. I'm like, Fuck. So <laughs> I'll be back yeah. in on Monday. But yeah, uh, really, that's about it been a little bit boring for me probably gonna be for the rest of this month to be honest what about you tj well i was productive as hell as usual made some progress on the comic book watched a bunch of films including the documentary about william Griffey, the cabinet of dr caligari earlier this morning i watched the big racket which is a Enzo Castellari film, trying to watch a bunch of film and keep up with the podcasting network. We have a new podcast joining the network very soon called Close Encounters of the Fit Kind, hosted by a one Brian Morehouse, so expect to hear new content from that very, very soon, exclusively on ProjectLouder.net and, of course, audio platforms everywhere. But yeah, just keeping stuff moving, and I'm excited to talk about one of my picks this week, and that pick is 1993's Trauma.
That is directed by Dario Argento, who also did Cato Nine Tales in 1971, Inferno in 1980, The Phantom of the Opera in 1998, and most recently, Black Glasses in 2022. Writers Franco Farini, Gianni Romali, and Dario Argento. Additional dialogue by Ruth Jessup. Cinematographer Rafael Muertes, who also did Blood Delirium in 1988, Flight of the Innocent in 1992, and The Second Wife in 1998. Music by Pino Donaggio, who also did Brian De Palma's Body Double in 1984, Raising Kane in 1992, and Seed of Chucky in 2004. Costume design, Lisa Evans, who did Silence of the Hams in 1994, Stir of Echoes in 1999, and Scooby-Doo in 2002. Ooh. Production design, Billy Jett, who worked on Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge in 91, one of Brody's faves, Cougar Hunting in 2011, and Blade the Iron Cross in 2020. Producers Dario Argento, Chris Beckman, and David Pash. Special effects by the legendary Tom Savini, who worked on Dawn of the Dead in 1978, The Burning in 1981, and Monkey Shines in 1988. Budget, 7 million USD. Starring Christopher Rydell as David Parsons, who was in On Golden Pond in 1981, Gotcha in 1985, and Flesh and Bone in 1993. Asia Argento as Aurora Petrescu, who starred in The Church in 1989, Scarlet Diva in 2000, and Land of the Dead in 2005. Piper Laurie as Adriana Petrescu, who starred in Carrie in 1976, Twin Peaks from 1989 to 1991, and The Faculty in 1998. Love that movie. Fucker. Uh, Josh Hartnett's hair is my favorite. <laughs> the sparky back. 
Hell it's the, yeah. it's, it's very 1998. <laughs> it's the same hair at Halloween H2O because those films were filmed at the same time. Good point. Mm-hmm. The, the only difference is his hair's messier in the faculty. Uh, he would just go like this in between walking between studios. <laughs> <laughs> Ira Belgrade as Ernie. That's about it. It's all that Ira Belgrade ever did. Frederick Forrest as Dr. Judd, who also was in the conversation in 1974. Apocalypse Now in 1979 and Lonesome Dove in 1989. That's a good one. Laura Johnson as Grace Harrington, who started Beyond the Reason in 1985, Deadly Exposure in 93, and Red Eye in 2005. Dominique Sarand as Stefan Petrescu, who starred in Old Explorers in 1990, The Usual in 1992, and The Family in 2013. James Russo as Captain Travis, who was in Once Upon a Time in America in 1984, Open Range in 2003, and Django Unchained in 2012. And last! But certainly not leastly, Brad Dourif as Dr. Lloyd, who was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975, Dune in 1984, and The Exorcist 3 in 1990. Slick Nick, read it for us. Aura is a young Romanian who, while on the run from her parents, is rescued by a journalist and recovering drug addict, David Parsons. After being returned to her home, Aura's parents are murdered by a vicious serial killer known as the Headhunter, sending Aura back on the run to David. With no one to turn to for help, the unlikely pair launch their own investigation into the killings, discovering shocking and long-hidden revelations that connect the continuing murders ever closer to Aura and a terrifying secret from her past. Awards! We got one! Count it! One! From the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards from 1994, and that is the Best Limited Release slash Direct Video Film nominee, and Best Supporting Actress Piper Laurie nominee. Boys, let's get physical! Okay, so this week's release we have from Vinegar Syndrome, released January 25th, 2022, not rated, 110 minutes, one movie, two cuts. It features a newly scanned and restored in 4K from its 35mm inner positive. Beheaded, an interview with writer-director Dario Argento. Heads above the rest, an interview with special effects artist Tom Savini. Female Hamlet, an interview with writer Franco Farini. Ruby Rain, an interview with composer Pino Donaggio. When the Lightning Strikes, an interview with cinematographer Rafael Muertes. Interview with actress Sharon Barr. Interview with actor slash casting director Ira Belgrade. Interview with James Russo. Interview with Piper Laurie. And an interview with Rod Smith. Audio commentary with The Hysteria Continues. And an audio commentary with film historian and author Alexandra Heller Nicholas. On set with Tom Savini, an archival featurette with behind-the-scenes footage, and that is too sweet! Archival electronic press kit with behind-the-scenes footage and interviews with the cast and crew. Video work print featuring several extended scenes, multiple trailers, reversible cover artwork, English SDH subtitles, and it is a region-free Blu-ray. Both Brody and I have it. Boys, take a look at it. Ooh, ooh, that is pretty. I'm assuming that's the extended version you were talking about earlier, right? Yes, there is. The 150 minutes? This, I believe, is the first uh, time that in the United States that the uncut version has 
been released in its entirety. There's a couple scenes, and I'll just mention it now, that two or three instances where the audio drops out, the audio quality. And I believe that was sourced from a VHS tape. But like they, like we said, they were able to scan a special cut of the film. So, so the regular runtime that I was able to find for it says like 146 minutes. The version that I watched, the one that is the IMDb TV, was 150 minutes. So I think it is the extended cut Excellent. as well. Yeah. yeah. So if you're watching on like a nicer system, you will notice the audio drop down in those two to three different scenes. Uh, again, those are just those bonus scenes that are included in the special version of the film, which I believe is the uncut version, not rated. Uh, yeah. Available on the Vinegar Syndrome website, I believe, with the slipcover still. Both Brody and I have this. We highly recommend it if you are an Argento completionist. If you like slasher films from the 90s, this is highly recommended. And if you like the Jallo genre, this is one of the last of its kind. Enjoy it. Boys? Yeah, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you dig up? I could start. Yeah. So, the character of Aura is actually originally based on Asia Argento's real-life half-sister, Anna, who did actually suffer from anorexia. Uh, Anna does have a small cameo in the film as well. She does appear during the closing credits of the film. Uh, she is the one dancing on the balcony uh, with the reggae band. However, unfortunately, uh, a few months shortly after the movie was released uh, in 1994, uh, Anna did pass away in a scooter accident. Uh, so she did not go on to appear in anything else past this film. Rest in peace. Yes. So in addition to the effect that the film had on her, in her 2021 autobiography, Anatomy of a Wild Heart, Asia describes various affairs she had during the production of Trauma, which included her co-star saying, for the first time, I felt guilty about cheating on someone sexually. I fucked the lead actor, who was Christopher Rydell, an electrician, and a handsome musician I met at Prince's First Avenue Club. She got the American experience while she was here. <laughs> so, in an interview with HollywoodChicago.com, I found actor Piper Laurie reflects on her time working on the film. Uh, she did say, you know, I haven't seen that since I made it. I had a lot of fun on that film when we shot it because it was so silly. I felt silly acting in my black wig and I had some sort of funny accent. Uh, it was just pretty over the top and I just had fun laughing in between takes and i believe it said also the uh actor who played dr judd was also just kind of goofing around and joking and laughing with her most of the time as well so they did have fun uh while they were working on the production for it good so in a 2010 interview with behind the couch argento describes what it's like working with studios in the u.s during the production of inferno and trauma i felt very comfortable working in the u.s because under the working point of view people there are very professional i was really comfortable when i shot masters of horror because the technician and actors were very professional. Unfortunately, though, I had problems with the post-production because the American producers have a way of doing things completely different from the Italian and European ones. Therefore, I had various problems, especially, for example, with Jello, which has been a disastrous experience. (laughs) So, in the original script for Trauma, Adriana's death was actually intended to be much more gruesome than what appeared in the final film. With the wire that decapitates her originally going through her mouth, cutting her head in half rather than her neck. Mm. Tom Savini has stated that the shot was meant to be filmed from inside of her mouth as the wire went in and that they began to work on a large mouth model set piece for the shoot that they were going to put the camera in. However, as they were doing it, Argento came up with the idea of having her head rolling over and then saying Nicholas over and over. So while they were constructing it, he just had it (laughs) scrapped. And I felt so bad for Tom Savini 
and that, I was like, that's so much better though. That's so cool. Doesn't he get kind of excited <laughs> about talking about making the giant mouth? I think I've watched that before. He's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> we were, we were going to make this giant fucking mouth, dude. It was going to be so cool. Uh, and Eric Gentle was like, wait, no, the better idea. We're going to do something that's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, all of the heads talking throughout this whole thing is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> so the majority of the notes uh, I was able to uh, find actually do come from that Vinegar Syndrome release. And on it is the interview with Mr. Argento himself. And he discusses uh, about writing the story. So he goes on to say, together with Farini and Romoli, I wrote a story that took place in pretty much imaginary Italy. Later, I had the idea to shoot it in the United States. I wanted to shoot it in America. And so I found a co-producer that ventured with me. So we started to look for a place to shoot the movie. Eventually, the city of Minneapolis came up. I had visited and it seemed appropriate for the kind of movie I wanted to make. At a dinner party, an agent, a friend of mine from New York, introduced me to Ted Klein, a famous writer and editor of the Twilight Zone magazine. When I met him, he was an editor and made a good impression on me. It was his participation that brought the movie with its vague setting to a typical America setting. Hmm. I didn't know Twilight Zone had a magazine. Oh, check that out. I actually, um, yeah, they show it in the documentary. You get to see the cover of it. It's pretty cool. Ooh, oh, hell yeah. All right. So Argento goes on to talk about the theme of the film. It says, the theme of love in this movie was important because it was quite a bizarre love because it was between a really young girl and a man who was much older than her. So I wanted to tell the story of this meeting between her who was suffering from anorexia and this young man, life an american man could just said american man bro um <laughs> so maybe he found out what she did <laughs> then all the backgrounds of the story emerged explaining who he actually was who she actually was and her family fuck very nice argento talks about the filming locations and he states i started to slowly elaborate it and this complex and complicated story was born shot between minneapolis and and St. Paul, which is always Minneapolis because Minneapolis has a bridge that crosses the Mississippi and on the other side is the other city, which is identical. St. Paul is older because it was the first to be built and it's also more elegant, more beautiful with villas. So we shot in these two cities. It was a nice experience. Let's see why. It's been a while, but I have been to Minneapolis poor, and that city is beautiful. So it's a kind of a word. <laughs> so Argento talks about using smoke for the shoot. To give a dreamlike feeling to the movie, Rafael Mertes and I decided to fill it with smoke, with a system that at the time was a trend in England. So we filled the movie, all the scenes, all the settings, even outdoors with smoke, which, of course, the film camera did not catch. Uh, you can't really see it in the end. You simply see a sort of veil, which gives the movie a dreamy setting, a dreamlike sensation. Since the smoke is a chemical smoke, suddenly I lost my sense of smell and taste. I could no longer smell or taste anything. Dario. <laughs> Ease up on the smoke machine, brother. <laughs> Argento elaborates on professionally working with his daughter, and he goes on to say, in this movie, this is the scene where Asia undresses in the bathroom and is seen by the man. The scene was thought without having Asia as the main character in mind, but with a hypothetical main character actress. So at a certain point, I asked her, look, there is a scene where you should undress and show your breast. She was young and said, yes, I know that I've read it in the script and it's fine. So let's do it. What's the big deal? And so we set the camera, we sent people away and she took her clothes off 
and showed her breast to the audience. Now get yours so, out. Whoa, look at those things. <laughs> <laughs> so Argento on actress Piper Laurie says, Piper Laurie was one of the other main characters and I got along with her. She was very introverted, but she was also very kind. It was a very interesting relationship because she was always in her hotel room. She didn't go out, not even to eat. She cooked for herself, then she would come on the set, act, and then she would shut herself again away in the hotel. She was a weird person. What? What hotel is a kitchen you can actually cook in? Some of them do. Like, I don't think I've ever been to one. I can just imagine she brought like a hot plate and just had it on the dresser some, next to the Some TV. nicer hotels have burners and shit, like actual kitchenettes. Like the ones in Disney World, like I stayed in a presidential suite. Uh, Those have uh, like two bathrooms, like a hot tub inside the room, full kitchen, get, like living room. Yeah, full Monty, man. So when you That's can- like our Airbnb in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Brody? So Mr. Argento goes on to say, in the movie, they talk about the French French Revolution, but the important fact was that during the French Revolution, the guillotine was invented and people were decapitated. In the movie, the characters are decapitated, so this was like a memory that the main characters had of this French Revolution. We worked on this movie together with Tom Savini, but not so much, because he was working on his own projects in Pittsburgh, where he lived, of course. He would come and bring the script, but he did not do an important job. I mean, his special effects were needed, but not so much and not as much as needed by George Ramiro. <laughs> I wonder what movie he was working on. <laughs> so, Argento on editing says, Editing was done in Los Angeles with equipment provided to us by George Lucas, who had just brought it up. Uh, his group had just invented it, and it was mounted on some discs, some laser videos. I think I was the first one to use it because Lucas asked me to use it. The editor and I started to. Well, he had never used it, neither had I. I didn't know how to use it. It was very complicated to use. In fact, it did not become successful. Therefore, it disappeared and now it is no longer used. Uh, I started to edit the movie with another editor who came to Minneapolis. He worked for the first two weeks, but we did not fit together. We did not understand each other. He didn't understand the mood of the movie. He had an assistant, and so I took his assistant and I made him an editor. He edited the movie later. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Traditionally, Argento is known for giving young up-and-coming talents opportunities like that it's cool that he's uh he does that and allows for the next generation of filmmaker to kind of learn under him it's it's rad you see the work of michelle suave and uh luigi cozy come from that type of uh tutelage is that the right word uh, mm-hmm. didn't he do that as well with the um some of the actors for crystal plumage uh, yeah, that's right. When we did the notes for that, you, you did kind of uh, coach them, huh? Okay, so we have Argento on the music for the film. We enjoyed working with Pino Dinaggio, as always. I have made several movies with Dinaggio, and we always work well together. We made the soundtrack in Venice, we has his studio, and it was a beautiful experience. I wanted celestial music, quite gentle, a little above the clouds. He understood what I wanted, and so he made the soundtrack exactly like this. You know, one could think that like he watched a De Palma film, and that's where he found Dinaggio, but... It could be. Um, I think it was part of the problems he was dealing with uh, the producers, because if I remember correctly from research, he did originally want to use that band goblin uh but the producer said no yeah uh it's normally goblin or claudio from goblin Mm -hmm. so yeah 
I don't know if he's used uh, anybody other than he was supposed to use uh, Daft Punk for Black Glasses, but the the uh, pandemic hit and then they broke up. I was about to say, and then Daft Punk broke up. <laughs> uh, Argento shares his final thoughts on the film. Says Trauma is a peculiar movie. Firstly, it was the first movie I made with my daughter Asia, and then because I experimented with a lot of new techniques the editing on Laserdisc. Moreover, I had touched some human subjects, which I usually don't use in my movies, like anorexia, the relationship between mother and daughter, which I normally don't add to my movies. It was shot in a peculiar and weird city, and for this reason, it is a movie that will remain in my memory forever. Fucking A. So moving on from Mr. Argento to Mr. Franco Ferrini, and he talks about Dario contacting him for the work on trauma. He goes on to say, trauma comes after phenomena. Opera and two evil eyes. So I got a call from Dario saying, I have to make a new movie. Let's think about the new movie. I told him the position I was in. I said, look, Dario, right now I'm doing other stuff. I told him truthfully because he is a friend, an accomplice, a travel companion, and I did not want to, I did not want him to find out for himself later on. Hence, this whole thing offended him a little. He did feel offended uh, because many directors consider the script writer as their property. Therefore, he felt the need to get reinforcement to hire someone else. He turned to Gianna Ramali, with whom he had already worked with because he had written the movie The Sect, which ah. Argento produced, directed by Michelle Suave. So we came together, the three of us, to write and think about trauma, starting from a small narrative cue, which is the ident- identity of the protagonist. The protagonist is an anorexic teenage girl who I believe has to do with an autobiographical detail of Dario. We will do The Sect in the future that has drug exploitation. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it has a rare appearance by Jamie Lee Curtis's younger sister. Oh, yes. Yeah. Alrighty. So, Franco then elaborates on the subject matter of the story. He says, we did some research, as it also happens for phenomena. We learned a lot about insects, about sleepwalking. But then, in the movie, there's not much about it. This is a safeguard for scriptwriters. You have to write about things you know. Maybe they do not go in the movie, but in the meantime, you have to learn them. And we did that with anorexia. Anorexia is a dysfunction that happens in dysfunctional families, which means not only is the anorexic person sick, but the situation also is that she is ill too. According to a notion of psychology by Palo Alto Watsowick, Gregory Bateson, which is called systemic. Yes. So we also have Franco talking about the gecko, and you'd probably like this one, Mr. Bowser. (laughs) We had meetings at my house, and I had a garden, an outbuilding, and every now and then a gecko would appear. This gecko impressed Dario. It was big and grey. He said it brought good luck. He is very superstitious. Dario said, let's put this gecko in the film that comes to visit us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, notorious for being superstitious. That's awesome that he did this because of the gecko. But would it be a Jallo movie without an animal of some sort that's completely unnecessary? It, w- it was in uh, <laughs> one of the interviews that I read with Argento later on as well. He talked about it. And he was like, oh, like, bro, with the Christmas movie, and all that. And then, you know, Trauma's got the gecko and everything. And he was like, I like putting animals in movies. <laughs> it was more or less his response to it was he was like, I just like, I like, I like animals, man. I like putting it in movies. I like using it as a symbolism. I like what Vin Zin 
Jin did with the uh, slip cover. It's like yes. they put the gecko on the back. It looks cool, yeah. but it's not a big deal of the fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the gecko's so like there. dopey in the movie too. Like when he's like patting it on the head, whenever he's going up the stairs, and it gives him that little big smile. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. Yes. So, and finally, we have Franco elaborating on the murder weapon. Says the murder weapon is Dario's whim to invent stuff. <laughs> He draws. He likes to draw to conceive murder weapons. I remember when he drew that sort of artisan garrote, the metal noose. And by the way, this was something which also made him very angry because the same metal noose appears in the, the counselor directed by Ridley Scott, where there is the same weapon. He told me that he was pissed off at Ridley Scott and it looked the same. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> He I has can see so him much calling drama up. around him between Fulci hating him retroactively and then like <laughs> the stuff with like Ozzy's autobiography and he's got he, I can just I can just see him just calling Ridley. Ridley picks up the phone at three in the morning, three in the morning. It's Dario. Hey, dickhead! <laughs> <laughs> I just watched the counselor ass. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking a. Well, boys, let's talk about it. Okay, favorite performance of the film. Slick Nick, start us off. The Gecko. Um. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I am probably going to actually have to go with Asia uh, as Aura, considering that this is the first that she worked with uh, her dad. One question: Are you going to include the opening scene where we see her for that performance? Uh, are you, like on the bridge? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> About to go over. Uh, I'm gonna fall. Same in her. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> thinking back to our pick for resurrection. Oh, um, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> okay, you got you there, fucking peanut butter in the roof of his mouth, guy. Uh, <laughs> Look, and I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, count. <laughs> so yeah there were i think certain parts that were probably a bit overacted again this was her first you know role working with with her father mm -hmm. um this wasn't her first acting role entirely was it no uh demons 2 she rocked up as a little kid and she's also in the church from 89 uh she, thought. she's a heavy role in that as well i believe so so she's still sort of at least warming up more or less. I don't think, but I do think that she did a good job um, portraying this character yeah. wrecked with so much trauma. Um, actually, it's it's a it's got to be difficult doing this sort of thing, acting like this with you know your your father directing it. Um, so you're like not only trying to show off your acting chops, you're also trying to impress your your dad. Um, but she's portraying this character who is just so like messed up inside. Um, overall from from everything that happened with her parents and it only ever gets stronger as the movie goes on considering you know everything that happens at her home uh, <laughs> immediately following especially with her father and everything she plays it very believable i would say especially considering that her character is a teenager she is very young and is still dealing with all of this the sort of over dramatic um acting i think initially in like the suicide attempt on the bridge and everything i think can kind of play into that sort of over dramatic um nature of teenagers especially ones who are dealing with a um a an 
eating disorder like dis like anorexia or bulimia or something like that it doesn't exactly put you in the best of headspace and i think that she portrays it very well and very believable over the course of the movie it does explain why she kind of attaches herself so hard to uh david um if she's having these problems with her family and everything and then her family just ends up dead and then people around her are just continuously dying afterwards um even though she doesn't know that it more or less doesn't actually specifically have to do with her. Like, especially when it comes to the psych ward um, at that that hospital, just considering that, like, what we find out later, it wasn't because she was there that all of that was happening. It was more or less, unfortunately, coincidental to a certain degree. Um, but you can see, like, over the course of the film, the toll that it takes on her. Um, and I think that just a lot more of that irrational um, actions that she does does take do start to make more sense especially you know just even considering the name of the dang movie uh, but yeah so i am going to have to go with asia um as as aura uh, i did also enjoy the guilt-ridden drug-addled dr lloyd walking the streets trying to get david to leave him the fuck alone <laughs> that was uh that was also pretty good i didn't i did enjoy his uh albeit short role but i did enjoy it brody what was yours well, like you, Mr. Nick, I did go with Asia myself. Um, at first, I was a little bit skeptical of her performance, but it did finally grow me by the end of the film. And, um, you know, how she was just able to play this girl as basically damaged goods. And it was really great to see her in the end own the character by the end of the film. I mean, it was kind of a bit of a way that she was sort of thrown in the deep end with a really deep subject matter like this. But it, I, I dare say it kind of benefit for her in the end, which is good in a way um and that chemistry between her and her dad working on this film definitely helps push that and drive that forward a bit more um yeah so what she was able to bring to the table in this film it definitely made me enjoy watching her throughout the film um and i definitely thought that she was actually yeah surprisingly good in the end um especially after seeing that bridge scene at the start <laughs> not a strong start but yeah she got good but uh yeah what more can I say about her performance than you already said, Nick? Um, I will like you as well. I did have here an honorable mention to Mr. Dorf as the doctor. Yeah, I mean, you only see him for at least five to ten minutes uh, throughout the entire film, but he always brings his A game. I mean, that man just is mentally unstable and broken uh, motherfucker in a pretty bad way. It's enjoyable to watch. It's fun. And to see what he can achieve in such short, short time. So, yeah. What about you, Mr. Bowser? So, I'm going to deviate from you two. Uh, mm. I do like Asia's performance, but there's a couple instances where I think she's overacting and that kind of yeah. takes me away from what she's trying to convey there with the traumatic type of uh, story she's telling uh, I will have to go with Piper Laurie only because she mm. is an absolute class act okay. in anything you watch with her and the little on screen you do see I think she just nails the whole praised mom thing uh, especially at the end I like, she was Carrie's mom right yes yeah yes I just think like you look at like her in that role and then you see like this like Argento clearly was like she's great in that sort of type like let's do this mm -hmm. like my style and that's definitely what i feel from this like the scene where she comes down and breaks into the cage like room like yeah she's creepy as fuck and she's terrifying i will have to do an honorable mention to christopher rydell i wish he was in more stuff yeah uh, i do like his performance in this i think again sometimes it might be a little dry but it could just be with a take uh that they picked because other scenes he's really solid so 
I would have loved to see him in more stuff. I did really like his acting in the uh, the scene where he, he gets into the fight with the pharmacist because he gives him that fake prescription. Yeah. And then he's trying to track down because he thinks he sees her bracelet and everything. All the people are going past and co- thinking he's a bum. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, Piper Laurie is just a fucking class act. I love her in Twin Peaks and everything else she's done. But yeah, fucking yeah. So, boys, set piece. Nick, Brody. I was going to say, I, I was going to let Birdie go first on this one because I did performance first. Um, oh. I'm going to go with the good old psych ward slash hospital uh, where Asya is locked up. And whenever uh, Headhunter comes in, just the all of the, you know, the orderlies are all dead. There's blood everywhere. The lights are blaring. So the alarms are going off. You got all patients wandering the halls and everything, you know, chasing down David and uh, Aura yeah. as they're trying to get out. Just all of the panic for it. And it just, it goes from being so sterile and clinical at the opening of that and the establishing to just chaotic and dark and frightening very well i think um i just think it was it was done very well i do like when like hospitals and psych wards and things like that are done properly you know like in um for example previous episodes scanner cop or um bad dreams yes i, I almost said dream warrior that's not it <laughs> uh but yeah i like i like i just like when those are are done well uh, when they're able to change a set piece like that almost as if it is its own character however i will give an honorable shout out to the basement cage that they both end up locked in at the end that is cool. That is weird. It is creepy. It is freaky. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. So, bro, do you have anything different? I do, actually. I do. Okay. I do agree with Nick on what he said. That was potentially my honorable mention. So, <laughs> I'm going with the family homestead or mansion, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Hell yeah. Um, and look, I was hoping that we would see more of that in the film. Um, and we have the final act play out there, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, so, for the time that we got there, when we are there, it is amazing to see these um, pretty amazing interior shots of inside that big fucker uh, it's very gothic dark and atmospheric you know only psycho I would dream to have a house like that yeah exactly absolutely even the scene that takes place there is very argento with yo the, them walking the up lighting. the steps at the beginning absolutely psycho yep um but like with the the lighting at night and framing of these actors that play out it's definitely giallo-esque which i thought was a cool little take on that um uh, but yeah that that whole house, um, I loved it. Even like seeing Arzia's room, just how big and open it was, you know. I don't know. I'm a sucker for old homesteads. I love that gothic aesthetic about it. Um, you're going to win me over nine times out of ten if you got one of them motherfuckers in your film. So, yeah, I thought I'd go a little bit different and choose the homestead. What about you, Mr. Bowser? So, clearly, this film is very different than other Argento films that we have watched on this show. Uh, this film, the sets are not as grandiose as his other ones. They're not as elaborate. Again, this is his first American film, so he's kind of doing things a little differently. So I'm going to deviate even further from you guys and say his house next to the lake is actually really Mm. cool, and the way that they Mm -hmm. use heavy shadow play in all the scenes with that is just fantastic. And I love how, like, you can see, like, the water by it and everything. I just think that's just so... Uh, Honorable mention to the very psycho house looking homestead like Brody said because it is so cool and I love the fact that we see all 
all the way from the top all the way to the basement of that house. I love when we really are allowed to uh, feel out of space in a movie, and this film definitely allows it. Uh, favorite scene or shot? This film is filled with really cool shots and really mm-hmm. fun scenes. So, does anybody want to start us off? Yeah, I can start us off yeah. if you like. Because, well, the one the one that stands out to me the most, if I was to ever, you know, laid down the track, forget about this film, it'll always stay with me, and that is the twist reveal. Yes. Of how Christopher Rydell's David walks through that room of silk sheets to only find something grotesque at the end. <laughs> and it, it, just, it felt like a dream for how long it actually went on for. It felt like the room was endless, you know, mm. like a dreamlike phase. And that created the fear, suspense, and tension to a fucking fantastic payoff. Yeah. It was so good. Um, and I was actually like, well, this shit just got real by yeah. the end of it. Um, I could sort of tell that something, I could sort of tell that the twist was there, but I was just sort of anticipating when it was going to come. And that's all due to the beat of the scene. And I think Mr. Argento plays that extremely well, especially for a fucking day sh- shot. Like it's actually pretty fucking intimidating and scary. And yeah, so that scene for me was probably my favorite throughout the whole entire film. What about you, you guys? which slick nick tj i think the uh final reveal of the killer with like the the, the wide shot then they do the they show the other one zoomed in with, with the heads i mm-hmm. think like yeah. of all like the argento killer reveals or twists whatever you want to call them which is a common theme in his films i think this one's one of the like more standout ones only because he likes to play with perspective sometimes like he did with bird with the crystal plumage and this is mm-hmm. definitely one of those instances i watched uh this film with my fiance sarah and watching her reaction to that twist it was just really cool it was it, she's also a fan of uh bird with the crystal plumage so she had was like oh god he got me again with this type of stuff her reaction was just yeah it was pure and it it, it definitely works. Like Brody said, he, it, what Argento tries to achieve with these shots, and some of them are a lot more creative, uh, he accomplishes. And maybe the film and some of its elements don't work perfectly. Fuck, does it look cool? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'd be hard-pressed to pick a favorite shot for this, because just there are so many that I yeah. like. At least for, for scene, um, I'm probably going to actually have to go with the, the flashback, the reveal of why Adriana is doing what she is doing. Um, it's just, well, A, it's super dark, uh, both visually and thematically. <laughs> yes. Um, like it hits really hard. I think it has probably some of the most like punch factor, just that like, the shock of oh shit i can kind of see why she's as messed up as she is now like the whole extended thing so not just the the death of of nicholas the that whole thing but the like transition from that into the electrotherapy and and all of that um quite a bit you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest like that kind of thing as well it it just i think it has some of the most impact out of the entire movie i think um now granted it's it's supposed to <laughs> considering it's it's the flashback like here's why they all deserve to die and everything like that but i think it was done fairly well um i think it was at the very least believable considering you know they're doing the surgery and this uh, massive thunderstorm going on and it knocks out the power and you got the light shattering and the doctor's hand slits you get the blood you don't even need to see exactly what happened you just need to know to get the full effect mm-hmm. and you just have them all scrambling trying to figure out what the fuck do we do uh everything is still dark the lightning is still crashing adrian is screaming it's very chaotic and i think it was extremely well put together and it was just the, it was the one that stood out to me the most i think by the end of the yeah 
Yeah, I think uh, we'd have to say, actually, what do you guys think about some of the more comedic scenes in this? Like uh, the kid seeing the head in the window? Like, did anybody else get a hearty <laughs> chuckle out of that? Like, yeah, <laughs> did actually. So everything with the kid. Yeah. Everything with the kid. The kid. <laughs> The kid being an absolute idiot going, what is this? I'm going to put this piano wire thing around my neck. But What's that's such a kid click? thing. Like, <laughs> but that's such, like, like, such a kid thing. It's like, oh, yeah. kid put a fucking murder device around his neck and was playing with the trigger. Like, this shit happens. Kid found a guillotine and went, I wonder what happens if I put my head under it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it, just, it did, the, but I, I was partly like, you idiot, stop. And also, but I think... <laughs> Just remember to lock up your murder weapons if you have kids by, like, yes. plain and simple. And I will have to say something about that scene. Argento uses that same, like, plot point in other films. And I'm just going to reference this here. In Phenomena, mm-hmm. when uh, Jennifer's jumping up to grab the plans in the house, she's not. she knocks over the shelf and then falls. The kid is reaching for something, falls off the, the, the chair, and it reveals something. Same as Jennifer. In Sleepless, a hooker's leaving a house, knocks over a box, and it reveals murder weapons. So he uses this plot point of somebody tripping over something or making something fall to reveal a killer's instruments or a, an important piece of information a lot. And I, I just thought that was interesting that, that that scene is echoed in a lot of his work. No, that is a fair point. Um, I do like that he does keep those sort of little little nods. Yeah. His and little the same stylistic the, uh, choices. The butterfly shots is very similar to the uh, mm-hmm. field chase scene with the fly where Jennifer follows the fly through the field to get to the house in Phenomena. He's very he's very idiosyncratic. He has he has things that he does that only does. Well, he uses the formula, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So he, uses, yeah. he has this really set Jallo formula. I mean, he is the fucking daddy of Jally. So like- He's Mr. Jallo. Yeah, if, it don't, <laughs> like, if it's not broke, don't fix it type attitude works well for this. And you just take that story and you just adjust it every so slightly to make it a little bit more interesting each time or do what he did with Suspiria and just make a hard right turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's the good version of when you give J.J. Uh, Abrams access to lens flip. <laughs> yes, or cocaine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, good God, lens flare and cocaine. <laughs> Boys, favorite effect or death? Nick? Oh, 100% Dr. Lloyd. <laughs> Him getting decapitated by that uh, the elevator door coming down. Never before has someone's head gone, oh! <laughs> which just, I, I really liked it. I liked the little touch. It was one of those little bits that made me laugh. Anything that has to do with the head talking or, or screaming or anything after it. Nick <laughs> loves some head, Brody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to have to go with the mother's death. Uh, not because it was awesome to see her head roll around on the floor. Floor, but the nosy little kid. I mean, that <laughs> little motherfucker is definitely a future serial killer. And uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, he the did way smile he was when composed, he was like, I cut her head off. <laughs> yeah. He was composed hiding throughout the house um, the whole fucking entire Granted, time. Granted, he looks traumatized at the end. That yeah. is true. Maybe that's a passing of the torch for a sequel. That's the go. name of the movie, like Nick said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, to reach down and put that fucking device around her neck, that was that, that little fucker had balls of steel. Yeah. I love how his character uh, becomes across as the monkey in phenomena Mm -hmm. like how it how can i put it so it's like it's like why is he there when are we going to see his character Mm -hmm. come full circle and surprisingly we do at the end and he saves the day and it's a show stealer yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's a show stealer. I loved it. He saves the day at the end of the day. And yeah, it, it was cool how he was able to sort of throw that in there. Like the, I like how Argento works that in his storytelling. So it was a neat little thing that he threw in there. I like it. Like it a lot. What about you, Mr. Bowser? Who was that second person? Hmm? Second person. The lesbian nurse. Well, doctor. Linda? Wait. Oh, do you mean uh, the one who 
gets killed oh, shortly before David gets to her like hotel room or whatever it is, and she, her head is the one who's like Doctor Lloyd. Yes. Lloyd. Uh, yeah, that was a cool scene. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name. I can only remember her girlfriend Linda's name. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I'd have to say the one that where the head falls off and says Doctor Lloyd. Doctor Lloyd. Uh, I love the way it looks on screen. I think it looks rad as fuck. Uh, yep. There's a movie called Dead Dudes in the House. There's a scene that's similar to that, uh, and I, I think that scene's fucking hilarious and i think argento doing it in this film is also just fucking hilarious like nick said just the talking head gimmick kind of breaks up the hor- horrific things going on around it and of course it's no way possible but like hey my last dying breath's gonna be telling you the clue to the next part of the story and it's <laughs> <even> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking rad. I also have to say a special nod to the Asian girlfriend's death. Linda. Yeah, when she peeks underneath the uh, bed. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's a coolly edited shot and everything. Yeah, I like that stuff. Oh my god, the shot of the mirror of her of her going to the mirror, writing that down, and yes. then in the mirror, her walking out of the room, the hand swiping it, and then her coming back in without ever seeing the person in the mirror. That was so good. <laughs> if I had to pick a favorite shot, it'd lots be that. of uh, reflective stuff in this movie love mirror shots and wait wait till we do card player he does one in in a uh in like a glass filled with water and you can yeah okay (laughs) all right (laughs) i'm liking with i'm liking that idea that might be a season six pick so just wait (laughs) (laughs) stay tuned boys Thoughts on story. So I'm going to kind of start this off as the guys watch the most uh, Argento. So this is totally mid-tier Argento for me. Uh, it's had some really memorable elements and some not so memorable elements. The acting is kind of not on par with some of the other stuff. It's definitely story-wise not as creative or as effective as his other work. But like Nick said, it touches on some serious stuff that his other stuff doesn't touch on. And I like that it's more grounded and you can tell that it's more driven to an American audience because it kind of lays out the mystery elements a little bit more. Uh, I like in the fact of the story where they kind of hint at who the killer is. Uh, with all the point of view shots if you notice ever so slightly that it's always looking at like eye level to like uh like light switches so like the person's not tall and you can like tell from like early on like that their eye level's like an eye like at a light switch so it's not big uh you can tell whenever the girl calls her and says she's coming up to see you now and it's not actually a guy so there's a hint and then of course the very plainly written out note that says she's with her mother and if you just read into those clues which i don't think is as prevalent in other argento work which i think he just kind of did for the american audience here to just kind of like kind of like tell the story a little bit easier easier so when the reveal hits i don't think it made the reveal any less uh effective because it kind of strengthens it that he went through and added all those hints in there uh, i love absolutely love the twist in this movie definitely one of the cooler standout-ish twists of his films yet yeah, for a 90s like an early 90s slasher jallo film super cool uh he's done better but definitely worth a rewatch yeah, yeah. i mean, i'd say i i'd I'll have to agree with you um, on multiple points. Uh, I do think that, yeah, the, the the sort of localizing his form to an American audience, I believe, did kind of take a little bit out of it. I don't think this is his strongest work. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bad. Um, I do appreciate that he did try to go with a more human approach, like he said, you know, dealing with things like anorexia, trauma, and the psychology. Is this of the first film he worked on Farini with? Because he would become a frequent collaborator of his after. Uh, let me see. Because he just did dark, gla- well, black glasses with it as well. Where's that? Nope. 
No. No, it was uh, Phenomena. Okay, so Phenomena was his first work. According to, according to IMDb. Oh, that's right. It says it yeah. in the notes. Remember, he says it when Brody was talking about it earlier. He says, we, we started, it was different from Phenomena. Remember? And then, yeah. Did he do Stendhal Syndrome with him? Because he had to film Asya getting multiple times for that. Uh, yeah, they worked together on Stendhal Syndrome, Card Player, Sleepless, Two Evil Eyes, The Church, Demons, Demons 2, Trauma, Opera, Black Glasses, Phenomena. Um, Frequent collaborator, then. Do You Like Hitchcock, A Dark Fairy Tale, and Of Flies and Maggots. Yep, that is his boy. Okay, <laughs> no. you, you were talking about your story, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're fine, you're fine. Um, but yeah, no, so I, I do appreciate that he did kind of try to go for a more human approach to it. You know, here's how people react to those trauma. Here's how families deal with it. Um, I do like that he did try to go for that. I do think some of the Giallo um, conventions that he normally uses were weakened a bit by trying to uh, play it out for an American audience like that. Um, it's it's not enough to completely take you out of it. I can see why it's one of his lower ranked films though like lower rated ones i don't think i think this is usually about like a six out of ten around there is where i see most like ratings reviews um but i do not think it's bad i don't think it loses a lot um in the sort of localization i think a lot of him going for new ideas kind of helped make up for it a bit uh if if the acting had been just a bit better if there had been just a little bit less of the comedic um heads talking kind of thing like that if it played itself a bit more seriously i probably would have liked it a bit more it just kind of seemed to clash or contrast against each other with how serious it mostly plays and then there's those those little bits i don't know um i know that we've said positive things about that before i don't know how well it works for me in my opinion in an argento film however it is still good and i am glad that i watched it and i think that everyone listening to this should also give it a watch brody what did you think? Well, well, fucking well. I look. I like it. Um, out of all the Argento films it, that I've seen so far, uh, this one is probably his most romantic. Like he said in the notes, um, mainly due obviously to the two lovers that really love each other, and that's what he does well in this film. They really show that passionate love for each other as this shit progresses. Uh, I don't think I've seen that it yet in his films not that i'm aware of anyway but so it was definitely interesting interesting to see that unfold um i don't know it's it's an interesting premise um with some of the story yes some of the story does jump around quite a bit from different characters and that but by the end of the film it cleans itself up and i can appreciate it for what he was trying to achieve with it and it's like you said nick it was something a little bit different he was trying new ideas at the time um especially for an american audience um yeah look i Look, I, I like it for what it is. Like you guys said, it's not his best, it's not his worst, but I'd, I'd definitely rewatch it again, absolutely. Uh, the one thing that I actually do like about it, how he was able to throw in there like the, the death scenes during the day, you know? Normally, yeah. a lot of his stuff is at night, and I think what he was able to achieve with that was actually quite exquisite and splendid to fucking watch. So, yes. I like the story. Fucking A. So it didn't do that well, did it, over here in the States, huh? Mm -mm. This, I believe, was the last movie he made in the U.S. He did uh, an anthology production before this, I believe, and then he did Trauma, and then he never made another movie in the United States. <laughs> And that's and that's really sad. And 
I think that just the American audience struggles to understand his style of storytelling, even whenever he attempts to kind of adapt it for them. I don't know. I mean, it's either you like it or you don't with his stuff. And it's sad that his stuff didn't get a wider release or especially later stuff, because I think that he his later stuff isn't necessarily bad in any way. It's just different. And if you like Jallo, it's it's still on par with the traditions of old. And he kind of stuck with what he knew best. And I, yeah, that kind of hurt him at the end because it kind of got old with films like Jallo and stuff. And he kind of... <laughs> I wouldn't say that that film has the flair that the other ones do. Uh, but this film definitely still, what I'd say, like I said earlier, uh, mid-tier Argento in takeaways. Fuck, I wish Sleepless and Card Player got releases here because I think that those films yeah. are rad. And I can't wait to talk about those films with you guys. But like Trauma, I definitely think deserves a second watch. And it deserves... What film would you introduce people to if you're going to want to try to pitch Argento. It's not this one. Suspiria. You think Suspiria? In my opinion. That's, I mean, it's I'm biased. That, that was the first Argento movie I saw because okay. I've talked to you guys about this before. My uncle, big fan, he has said that Suspiria, the original, is one of the scariest, is the scariest movie he's ever seen. That was what introduced me into it. Um, and then I got into Jello over time, just kind of after that. I think it, you, you get him in with the, the paranormal thriller and then you hook him with the murder mysteries. Yeah, true that. He plays what he does, he does both genres well. Brody? No, I, I, yeah, well, I was gonna, I was gonna actually say phenomena, mm-hmm. but it all depends on what you want to watch from, yeah, like in, yeah, like, yeah, like Nick said, supernatural element fucking murder mystery jello it all depends i, I don't know look the, the impact and takeaway i don't know i have you you finished mr bowser yeah yeah see i well the impact and takeaway i had from this is i kept thinking about this film after i watched it it's not that it disturbed me it's just that i just kept it like it just felt like there was a mixture of directors that were behind it like it felt like it was heavily borrowed from De Palma in certain parts of the story mm. uh potentially cinematography it very it looked very De Palma-ish, or if you want to say Do you that. think that that's Even, because they're both students of Hitchcock? I I honestly believe that. Yes, okay. Hitchcock well had a big be. inspiration on both their lives. I do. Believe. Other than Richard um, Franklin, can you really name anybody that isn't like Hitchcockian like those two? Hmm, not really. No, that man inspired a lot of filmmakers. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Even like, but this even felt like Lynch with its characters. Like it, it felt because, Lynchian. I, I, is that because some of them were like really over the top and like really colorful? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I totally they, picked they, up on they, that they, as well. This was definitely, yeah. but he, but Argento has those types of characters. Like even with like Bird with the Crystal Plumage, yeah. we have that cat eating yeah. artist. Like, absolutely. Oh yeah. We gotta have, right. we gotta have these fun characters to break up some of the more gross and like, some of the more grotesque stuff that he touches on. Mm, absolutely. And it feels like, like, obviously these characters make their presence well known mm-hmm. and staunch in front of the camera, but it's like they're caught in this haunted dreamscape like Yes. But I, I, I just couldn't take my fucking eyes off the screen and it was something fresh. I just, I, I wish Argento had done a lot more filmmaking over in the States like you guys were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Potentially an Argento film down under. That'd be something. Oh. Imagine that. Argento character. Fuck, this would be funny. Argento characters dealing with mental health of alcohol withdrawals. <laughs> <laughs> and then killing oh, people with a sharpened boomerang like that little Jesus motherfucker Christ. from Mad Max. <laughs> 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 well, that's Brody's um, weekly pitch. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, nah, but look, at, at the end of the day, anyway, um, I'm glad we got to see this film. Yeah. Um, because it's crim, it, it is underappreciated. 
till fucking tea. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, and thank you to Vincent for saving it for us mm-hmm. because it's definitely a film that I probably would have never, ever fucking well, they had, gone out uh, of my way to suss. No Region A release prior to that. Really? Yeah, that was the first Region A release. I think the only other one was a Spanish release. Oh, shit. So they really resurrected it. So thank you, Vincent. Absolutely. But yeah, uh, I, mean, I definitely pressured Brody into buying trauma. <laughs> <laughs> You pressuring you, you someone did. to buy a movie? No, <laughs> that's not possible. You did for a start, and I was coming back from Perth, and I'm like, I've got money to spend. I might just <laughs> fucking buy it just to shut him up. Was that two or three episodes ago? You mentioned actually buying it on the show and getting it in. So, like, <laughs> you oh, yeah, just follow along. Episodes back. <laughs> yeah. We got cut. Was, what January? Yeah. End of January? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty fresh. <laughs> it's okay. I got resurrection, so it's even. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. There is nothing wrong with that fucking movie. Oh, right? wait, you no. We- just making it to be fucking worse than what it is. No. Right? It's like Sister, Sister. That's actually a good movie. It was a good movie. <laughs> I think Resurrection might be better than Sister, Sister. But I kind of like bought that and was like, Brody, you should watch it. It has gothic stuff. And he's like, oh, you said gothic. I should buy it. <laughs> Ping. Yeah. Well, that's Eric Stoltz. But uh, Nick, anything you want to elaborate on before we get to the radio? <laughs> Really? Um, I, I do appreciate, I think that this movie probably did help bring Argento to a wider American audience. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, obviously, if, you know, if he's coming over to make it, even though it didn't do particularly well, um, it was not as positively received as some of his other stuff. I, I do think that it helped get more American audiences interested in Jello, in Italian film in general. Um, and I think like they wouldn't have made that, that remake, that 2018 remake of like Suspiria and things like that like to try to test the waters again to see how Americans respond to his kind of of filmmaking Um, I think that it would have been harder to pitch those ideas and get that kind of stuff made if it wasn't for trauma being made here and being localized for here but really that's about it I think you guys mostly my my other thoughts on it so fair enough so this week's rating is totally fucked in the head mothers on a head hunting spree out of five Brody start us off you handsome son of a Got. I'll go 3.1. Okay. Nick? 2.9. I'm going to give it a 3, and that is an LCE score of 3 out of 5. Totally fucked in the head mothers on a headhunting spree. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So next episode is going to be a little special one. We are going to have one of our big bad beetle buddies on, uh, Ryan. He's going to join us for the talk about it section of the podcast next week. Nick, what film are we doing? We are going to watch one of the newer Elijah Wood movies and Michael Smiley as well. Uh, Come to Daddy. Excellent. Now, I have zero information on this film, no point of reference, so I'm going into this completely clean. And I like the fact that uh, you pick those different movies because where I focus mainly on 70s films, uh, you are very well-versed in modern stuff, so you're able to kind of show me uh, the ropes with this kind of film. I mean, you got me to really like my first A24 film with Green Room, so yeah. see how it goes <laughs> fair enough uh i'm hoping this one i i really like that elijah elijah wood's gone from from being frodo to kind of pulling a daniel radcliffe except instead of doing entirely just weird little indie movies he went i want to do fucking horror movies now like the maniac remake and all that did elijah wood do mandy was that when we were talking about that the other day brody mandy i believe it was it Cage. last night oh. no he produced it he produced it that's right i'm pretty sure yeah um no come to daddy is a fun little film i dare say you will enjoy 
word. Okay. I don't know. I, th- uh, from I what think I you will. Yeah. I think you will. I think at the very least, you will definitely enjoy Michael Smiley once more. Is this, is this, was this going to be the first time he's been in one of our picks since? Um, yes, uh, since Kill List. Kill List. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, you watched a field in England on your own. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it in my box set back there. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll touch on in later seasons. And we'll kind of touch on that right now, actually. Uh, so we do plan on taking another break after the season. We have one more episode after this. And we will be doing some special bonus episodes for you guys, which are kind of more director and actor overviews of their career, kind of touching on specific uh, films that they've done. So just kind of keep an eye out for that. Brody and I have been bouncing around the idea of maybe having like a secondary show run in the stream where we kind of talk about things on a philosophical and a technical level. So if you guys are interested, than that let us know thank you for patronizing the podcast thank you for tuning in and getting us on those charts i really appreciate it and it kind of makes all this effort and time that we spend on this podcast absolutely worth it so thank you for joining us on another episode of what i hope to be your favorite podcast this is the pod boss tj bowser signing off this is your dkb saying i'll catch you mother liquors next week slick nick signing out thank you all for listening we appreciate you all so very very much want to let you guys know out there listeners brody did uh attempt to reach out to aussie argento for the second time for this episode uh and we're still waiting for a response (laughs) (laughs) aussie if you're listening please (laughs) very fucking rude on your behalf aussie very fucking rude 
Hey everyone, this is your podcasting god king, TJ Bowser here. I just wanted to take a break from my busy schedule of pud whacking to inform you of something I'm very passionate about and I think you should be aware of. Congenital hemorrhoidal ass disease, or CHAD for short, is a rare disease that affects 1 in 37,000 cellar-dwelling men. CHAD causes a multitude of issues including, but not limited to, hair loss, distended abdomen, low testosterone, penile atrophy, lack of logic, and bad taste in film. If you're experiencing any or all of these symptoms, please consult your local PCP immediately. CHAD is an angry, rough little disease, and it must be stopped before it takes the best of us out. Now that you know about CHAD, you can help us raise awareness. First, tell a friend about this terrible disease and help spread the word. Also visit www.pleasestopchad.com to find out more and how to donate to this cause and stop CHAD's reign of terror on us all.